They told me for years there was no money in podcasting. Well, they were all wrong. This is an ambiguous podcast solutions original podcast. A podcast years in the making. Centered around You're listening to Talking with Tarasha with your host and founder of Ambiguous Podcast Solutions, Will Tarashuk. Join Will and his guests as they talk about anything and everything under the sun. Now, without further ado, let's do this. Yes, I know I have gray hair. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to Talking with Tarashuk. I, of course, am the Tarashuk in the title, Will Tarashuk, the founder of Ambiguous Podcast Solutions. And today I am speaking with Kendrick Thomas. Kendrick is a school administrator, a certified life coach, speaker, and mentor. He leads the Great Boys Club, that's G-R-E-A-T, and um, and. Is it A-Leaf? A-L-I-A-I? How do you say that? A-Leaf? Yes, sir. A-Leaf. A-Leaf ISD and works countless hours speaking with at-risk youth leaders on his campus, his district, and throughout the entire city of Houston, Texas. He is also the host of the Daily K podcast. Kendrick, thank you so much for being here. I am so excited to talk to you because it's a little bit different, a little bit out of my wheelhouse, but that is the whole point of this show. People I find interesting, and you, of course, went to website, and I found plenty to be interested in, so please introduce yourself to the Ambiguous Nation. Yes, sir. Well, hello, Ambiguous Nation. Thank you for having me, man. Um, Kendrick Thomas, school administrator, podcaster, educator, um, man, mentor, all that stuff uh, Will just said. Uh, here in Houston, Texas, um, man, just working, creating a tragedy. I mean, creating a triumph from a tragedy. That's pretty much it, man. I mean, everyone everyone has their personal tragedies. I can go through my whole sob story on my personal tragedies, but I have a whole yeah. solo show. I talk to myself all about that. So we'll, yeah. we'll spare me mine, but <laughs> you, you, you got your own. And there is an old saying that everyone successful has a tragic backstory, right? They have yeah, a tragic yeah. origin story. Anyone successful like comedians, they're all a pretty messed up childhood. So your childhood, got this from your website, um, that you were born in, Shreveport, Louisiana. Did I say that correct? Shreveport. Shreveport, uh, Shreveport. Shreveport yes, Louisiana. I looked it up. It's just on the border of Texas. Yeah. Um, to a single mother at the age of 15 facing violence, murder, drugs, and gangs daily. Yes, yeah. Now, I don't know the mean streets of Shreveport, but please elaborate. Tell us, what was it like growing up for you? Um, man, I, it, it was kind of crazy, man. Raised, you know, in the African-American family, grandma is the... Mm-hmm. Um, is is the staple, right? So I live with grandma. Mom was young. Uh, and so I ended up moving out with mom, but then she went to jail, right? So she was gone mm-hmm. for five years uh, on robbery. Uh, and so then that put me back with grandma. And so then growing up in the neighborhood with her. Uh, but when mom get out, this is only seven years later. So here, here she is, you know, I, I think I was what? 1992, I was 12. Um, and so she's 15 years older. And so then I'm living back with her. We move into a bad neighborhood, man. And it was, it was, that's what I kind of learned. You had to grow up real fast, you know, from uh, getting my first gun at like uh, 13, 14 years old, you know, and wow. burying it before you go to school and, and all these type of things, man. It was, it was real. So you grew up with grandma. Mom yeah. went to prison. How old yeah. were you when she went to prison? I was, um... I want to say eight. Eight. And, yeah. no, and no father's not in the picture. No, I never met my dad. Wow. See, I, I can't even imagine. Um, so how how difficult was that? Like, What kind of impact do you think that had as, as you on you as an adult? So talk yeah. to me like, and how that experience shaped you who you are today. Because mm-hmm. there's plenty of people out there who just can't recover from yeah. a childhood. Like, we talk a lot about the nuclear family. And how important that is, and it's so hard to break that mold. So how did how did you do it? What is the key to your success? Because like even just speaking Ooh. to you for five minutes now, I never would have guessed. Yeah, man. Um, I, ish, man, I, I really think, um, and I talk about this a lot when I go out to schools when I'm talking to boys. It's really just intrinsic motivation and just understanding like the burden that was placed on me as being the first person to go to college is having mm-hmm. nieces and nephews that are coming up and, and what do I give them to see? What do they remember about uncle D because I don't have children of my own. And so then it's like, you know, what am I giving them 
Uh, but also without having children, like what do I want to leave as what people would know about me outside of that? And so, man, I think I was going down a, the path of not a good place. Um, and like I say, a few things happened where I had to grow up. And, um, dude, after that, I just understood that it's bigger than me. And I became an educator. So how did that happen? How did you become a school administrator? And, like, what, what does that mean? Like, what exactly do you do yes. in it, in it, and, I guess, administrate? Yeah. Uh, right now, um, I am assistant principal of uh, Hicks Elementary. And so we have around 700 students. Uh, I have two partners. Uh, man, and, and when I tell you, it's real as far as elementary, pre-K to four, fourth grade. And so, mm. uh, man, I'm pushing every day. Uh, but I, I will tell you, the way that I became an administrator and educator was I was going to school in Shreveport, Louisiana. Um, and they called me in and they said Thursday that my classes would be dropped if I didn't pay the full balance that night. Um, and so... Dude, I, I had a decision to make because mom wasn't working. I was taking care of the family. I needed that money for her, so then classes were dropped. I talked to my friend, Will, Thursday. He said, man, I just moved down to Houston. I'm living with my in-laws, but if you want to come down here and finish school, you're welcome. He picked me up that Tuesday, September 3rd, 2003, four days later. Dude, I haven't been back home since. Mm. And that was it, man. So I started school. So he picked me up September, January. I started school 2004 and I finished December, 2008 and became a teacher. And was that, that was, that was higher education. Or was that just standard? Yeah, that was higher education. Higher education. So what yeah. was, what was school like for you as a kid? Did you like school? Was school tough? Yeah. Um, man, I, I was, you know, coming from my background, you think about those transient kids, right? So mm -hmm. I moved. I had two elementary schools, I had two middle schools, and I had two high schools. Um, and so just moving a lot, you know, you're building up friends on each side of town, but it's also taking that time to make those friends. But um, I, I talk to my kids about college all the time. Dude, I didn't, I didn't know anything about college until March of my senior year. Like, wow. I just happened to ask my brother, uh, my god brother, I said, well, man, what you doing after you graduate? He said, dude, I'm going to college. And I, I said, what's that? And so that's, it wasn't through the school. I, I can't even remember like college drives or anything, but um, it was just his family. That's what they did. They went to college. And I asked him what was college, and it was from that conversation that sparked me to take the leap from high school to uh, ed higher education. That's good. See, like, not even like college football. Like, yeah, you're from the South, man. Like, college football is huge down there. Like, nothing. Yo, I was trying to survive, brother. Oh, man. I, I, I can't, I can't, I can't do uh, My Saturdays consist of trying to, hey, trying to make sure I get some money or something. Like, like dude, I was, you know, but when I graduated, I was living on my own. Like, mm -hmm. I had a roommate. And so I was paying bills. I was hustling. I was, I was trying to make it happen, brother. And so that was my life. All right, so what? So you you're you're a school administrator now. You work from from K to fourth grade. Yeah. Um, is that just just, just the way? Like, is, does the um elementary school cut off at fourth grade, or does it go to fifth? Because most like my school is K yeah. to five, six, mm -hmm. seven, eight, and then nine to twelve. Yeah, there are variations. Um, mm. uh, just just depending on your district. We do have some they go uh, pre K to five, uh, only K to five with pre K centers in different places. So just different ways. I think my mom, my mom, my mom was an adjustment counselor at a high yeah. school, um, mm. well, uh, middle high school. So it was, it was six to, it was seven to 12. Yeah. So the elementary schools were K to six mm. because they just didn't have enough like funding for more schools and the town wasn't yeah. that big. Um, but wild this is how the, yeah. the school is different. So you, do you, do you oversee one district, a county, one school? How is that? Divvied up. Oh, uh, one school. So uh, one school. within is yes. So ISD is a uh, independent school district, and so within there, um, man, maybe like seventy schools or so. I, I can't re really remember the number off top, so don't quote me. But I want to say at least seventy schools, mm. um, and and a bunch of employees, man, maybe more. Do you prefer that the kind of more of like a like a like a a core setting as opposed to bouncing around all over the place? Yeah, man, I, I think you um, and, and you mean with with students or you mean with just life? Students, students particularly. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, man. I think um, kids need consistency. They need mm. safety, mm -hmm. right? And so um, 
the more they don't have to worry about that, the more they can worry about learning. And so, yeah, you got to have it like that. And no, no kids of your own. Why? Like how, how, like for someone who works so much with kids, I'm assuming you love kids. Yeah. This never, never worked, never worked out. No, man. Uh, no, I, I think uh, if it was supposed to, it would. So then. <laughs> or you, or you, can look you know? listen, I got thousands of kids. They're yeah, all over the it. place. Look, I, I got them for a short time. Then you got them for 18 years plus. I got them for five. <laughs> That's it, man. I, I come in, you know, I even go, um, you know, back 2008, 2009, I get people, uh, kids that still call and kind of give me updates or, yeah. Uh, yeah so lasting connection, man. I mean, there's, there's everyone, everyone can tell you their favorite teacher and their least favorite teacher. Yeah. Right. And as a teacher, you got to go, okay, where do I fall in that spectrum? Uh, my favorite teacher, second, second grade, Ms. Sheehan, the greatest teacher ever. Yeah. Just the sweetest. Had my, my brother had her. I had her. Like, she taught forever. I remember she would tie it. I sent her an email saying, like, listen, like, thank you. I graduated college at that point. I was like, you know, I wouldn't, I really wouldn't be here yeah. with, without you, even though it was something as so simple as a second grade teacher. Because, like, for me as a kid, I was a selective mute. So mm-hmm. I didn't talk, like, at, at, like out loud until, like, yeah. halfway through first grade. Mm-hmm. And I remember the first day of second grade, like she had us go around like and say our names and who we were. Mm-hmm. And um, I know she took a pause for me because she knew who I was. She knew my brother. She knew my mom very well. And she just gave me an extra second. And I kind of was like, you know, c- come on. And I said it. Yeah. And I said my name. Like my name is William Tarashuk. And, you know, you don't remember much from second grade, but I'll never forget that. I'll never yeah. forget my first day. So mm-hmm. I do – do you just do you just carry around like stories like that? Or so like students, you probably have students who don't even know you don't even know the kind of impact you have, but you have students you yeah. do. So like give me give me a success story of a student you've had who you reach out to years later or even in the moment, but it's like, yeah, thank you. Yeah. Um man, so many, brother. Because and I and I'll tell you why so many. Uh since 2001, I chose to go into special education. Mm-hmm. And so 2008, now I'm not. So you're thinking about starting from the bottom as a paraprofessional, as a teacher's aide, teacher's assistant. Um, then 2008, now I'm the teacher. But as soon as I became the teacher, my special ed led me to emotionally disturbed students. And so my entire career as a teacher was working in those classes and bringing those kids out of those situations back into regular rooms. Um, so when, when you think about those stories, uh, I, I think about me being at a high school and I was a high school English teacher. I was a football and a track coach. Uh, and so I would work with kids inside but because I did a credit recovery as well. Had one kid there um, fault uh, because they were all inside of a group home. And the group home was high risk. And so if you became a kid who was peaceful, you no longer qualify for this. Dude, I would bring those kids in. It was one kid. He started at a ninth grade my first year. By the end of my second year, uh, he was graduating, mm-hmm. you know, and so uh, he moved to Wichita, but he would still find me. He One time he would find me on social media and just continue to reach out to me. Uh, man, so many kids where they, even from my football players that are in the NFL, you know, reaching back out, Coach T, well, thank you for this. So, so many stories, man, of just pouring out. Um, the sad part about that, though, as you make those connections and I would get these kids into this good place, once they became, you know, peaceful and, and quote unquote normal, then they had to be shipped because they didn't qualify for this facility. Right. So I would build these connections, then lose those pieces. So it's crazy, man. The gift and the curse. What? That's hard for a kid, right? Because they have they have this support system that they're so dependent on. Yeah. And then they just they age out of it. I put that in quotes because yep. like, what is what is that? What do you, you can't age? You don't age out of things like that. Like, yeah, man. So what? Where where do they go after that? Yeah. What like what typically happens to these kids? Man, from what I'm seeing, um, is either you got a family member or you on your own. Like that. That's really and, and what how, I've been how seeing. Old, how old are they when they go on their own? Eighteen. Eighteen. Yeah. Well, legally. Yeah. Because legal, legally, yeah, legal. yeah, that's just, yeah, it's just legal. That's just the whole thing. Is it's legal? That's it. So you got a family member to take you in, uh, and you know these were people who parents were either killed or um, incarcerated, yeah. and so there is nobody to fend for them. You know, which is probably nine times out of ten how they will end up in these homes because, like I say, the the home was for violent people, man. You know, so I would have to work with these kids, but you never know when a chair was coming either, but yeah. 
<laughs> I mean, like you, you, you have this, you have this idea of like, I need to help people, right? Like helping yeah. it's admirable to help people, but you know, yeah. you can't save everybody. Is that, yes. is that, is that, is that hard knowing that, mm -hmm. listen, some people, no matter how hard you try, you yeah. got to keep knocking, but no one's going to answer. Yeah. You just keep trying. Look, look, it's so, it's so cliche, but you be that person that you needed when you were younger. Mm -hmm. Right. And so I needed somebody like me. Matter of fact, at, when my mom went to jail later on, like a few years later, I found somebody that I needed, right? And then they they started playing those seeds. Um, Volunteers of America Lighthouse was where I went after school. And so they kind of got me away from the projects and away from so many other things that I would get caught up into from three to six or three to eight or three to nine. Mm. And so, man, that that's that's why I, I got to keep knocking. They'll hear it eventually or so, either hey. What What drives you to keep knocking? Is it, yeah. is it, is it the kids you want to help? Is it your past experiences? Is it a little bit of everything? Or is it something we haven't talked yeah. about yet? Um, man, I, I think it's um a little bit of everything, man. Because um, you you can't. I don't think you can give up, right? Mm -hmm. If you know something and you see that potential, so it, it's one thing to you know kind of keep beating on a dead drum, mm -hmm. you know. So so you think about how important time is and you maximize your time. But if I see the potential and I see some type of reaction, then I'm going to keep prying until you make that decision. Now, if I see that you're totally turned off and there's no change in your mind, then, you know, you, you kind of got to let that one go because like you said, you can't save everybody. So, so part of that serenity prayer is just being able to know the difference, mm -hmm. you know? And so that's what it is. Now you, you do these keynotes and community events and virtual development, which we're going to get into, but do you also work with kids one-on-one? -on -one? Man, have not worked with kids one-on-one uh, -on -one besides, hmm. uh, you know, in the run of the meal every day at work, you know, um, yeah. a lot of the kids, you almost got to have those personal relationships with it. You got to be able to know how to reach that kid individually, you know? So, but, but besides out of the schoolhouse, um, no, not really as far as in a in a regrouping them situation. Well, you do run the Great Boys Club. And that is an acronym. Yeah. So please tell me what the Great Boys Club is, what you mm -hmm. do, and how that got started. Look, man, <laughs> gentlemen representing education and transition is, is what that's for. Right? And so um, you think about Texas A&M, uh, College Station. Okay, so I'm down there at school. And I'm working at the high school, 94% um, other than African-American staff, 67% African-American population. So you're thinking about that. Your typical student was probably middle to upper class A&M student, right, who was a little disconnected to what was happening. And so what my job was to create was just something that showed them how to be empathetic but not sympathetic. Uh, to our young men. And so from there, uh, and just reading that book from Principal Kofele, man, I was able to create this curriculum, create this design, this framework. And in 2014, dude, I um, I came back up to elementary school and that's when I started it, man. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, we, 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 we teach social skills. We teach boys how to uh, go on interviews. Like the first lesson, uh, which was on the news is, do you plan to live until you're 21? I do. I do. Okay. Let's, let's, let's jump down to that. Cause I was going to save this yeah. for later. So you, you ask these kids, do you expect to live past your 21st birthday? If yeah. so, what will you be doing yeah. now? You're asking that to a group of third and fourth grade year old boys. Yeah. And I read that in the article and I just go, that is heavy. Yeah, That's man. heavy. I can't, imagine my fourth grade brain even thinking about am I gonna live to 21 I was like of course I'm gonna live to 21 you know I was a kid I was yeah. like I can't wait to go to college 21 yeah. seems so far away but I never had the in like the experience of I might not live past this so how how and that's like it's difficult for me to read as a successful 26 year old white guy yeah. Right. I'm not living that. I never will live that. My kids will never live that. I'm aware of people living like that. Mm -hmm. But how difficult is it for you to talk to children about these topics? Because these are very real topics and topics that yeah. do need to be discussed. Yeah. But it's not easy. 
No, it's not easy. But but the thing is, it's a reality, right? Mm-hmm. Um, when I was twelve, I was driving my mom's car, and my brother was in the back seat. He was eight. Some people shot through the back window. A uh, bullet went from window to window, just past my little brother. So I'm 12, he's eight. That's a reality that we wouldn't have seen 21. And so when I talk to these kids, then it's um, coming from a place of experience. And so then being able to ask those questions of how many people have seen somebody go to prison or how many people have seen somebody that they know uh, that's younger than them be killed. And, Mm -hmm. And the reality is everybody raises their hand, man. Like they know somebody even went to jail and that's not that old. Um, and so then that's how those conversations happen. But, but it's because it's already relatable. Mm-hmm. Now, do you have teachers um, in the school district who even like grew up in this or even went through the same school system? And I asked that because I bet mm-hmm. if, if you did and asked the teachers the same question, mm-hmm. they would all raise their hand too. Yeah. And like I bring that up because, you know, it's it's a cycle. It's yeah. it's it's a cycle. We talk about it's been talked about to death about inner cities, violence, you know, breaking the cycle. Mm-hmm. And is that something you teach your kids saying like you got to break the cycle, here's how? Yes. That's it, man. So how do you break and, the um, cycle? What's the secret? Teaching them <laughs> teaching them how to um have a conversation. Yeah. Right, right. Common strategies. Um, but but moreover, the biggest thing is how to communicate. Mm-hmm. Don't 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 stunt the emotionals. Um, try to pull them out and show them what to do with them because they're gonna be there. And it's either they can have something in their toolbox to say, I don't hit people, I don't cuss out people, I talk to somebody about it in a calm manner, or we can have them say, All I know is to grab my gun and it's time to be a head bustle. Right. We got a choice in which one we want them to do. But I think at the age I'm at, especially those skills have to be taught. And that's what we do, man. Yeah. Do you get any pushback from everybody saying, listen, you probably shouldn't talk to kids about if they're going to live to 21, like, you know, preserve their yeah. innocence. It might not, like, yeah. not even people from like your community, cause, like, like they mm-hmm. probably understand. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, you are a, you are a public figure. You have a podcast, yeah. you have your YouTube mm-hmm. channel, people, people from like Des Moines, Iowa or Boston, Massachusetts who don't really know, or may not understand. Mm-hmm. Pro- they probably give you some stuff you don't want to mm-hmm. hear. It's like, do you get any of that from anybody or even inside your own community? Yeah, no, I don't, man. No, because, um, they, they know where it comes from. Right. And, and they know, especially these days and, and young men of color, man, we have to be as marketable as everyone else, but we also have to be aware that in some cases we don't get the same as everyone else. Right. And so then that, that trip to get home, if you don't know what to do, it could be life ending for you, Mm -hmm. you know? And so um, I I think when people understand that it's all about teaching them and you got to teach them through exposure and understanding is real by having them being able to feel it, then they understand. So let's talk about community. Yeah. Um, community is important for anybody, right? Yeah. Any 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 kid in particular. Like growing up, I loved my community. I grew up in a great town. My neighborhood was pretty great. I had some bullies, but that's just normal kid stuff. You know, <laughs> school was great. Some more bullies, normal kid stuff. Um, high school was rough, but overall, my community was a very great, safe, fantastic place to be. Highly recommended. So, like, how important is your community to you right now? Man, look, dude. As we um, prepare to go post-pandemic and you think about all Mm -hmm. the pulling together we've given as far as clothes, as far as, uh, dude, when we had the winter storm, um, as much as we could, we set up inside of the school district for relief packages uh, for places to stay. During Harvey, you think about how we all banded together as a community for for shelter, for places to stay. So, um, man, as we get ready to turn this thing back around with these kids, and get them back in school and get them back learning. We coming from some hard places, right? They got big gaps. And so it's only through schools, through prominent figures in the community working together and empowering these kids, getting them excited about coming back, do they become successful, but it takes everybody. And so that's how important it is. You know, Mm -hmm. Um, I do um, 
uh, a site-based decision-making uh, committee uh, on my campus. And so we have a, a famous, it's Hungry Howie's Pizza. And so like, but he's really big in the community. And so I just brought him on uh, to be a part of that committee and come into the schools, right? Because that's how important it is. And so then when it's time to do events or things, uh, we, we already got a partner, but it's all about getting those kids excited. So it takes everybody, man. Mm-hmm. Now you give, you give so much, you give, you give, you give, you give, you got to take something. How has your yeah. community benefited you? Man, um, you know, something as simple as in, um, man, I remember I put out my first day of merch, man. Mm. Uh, I sold thousand dollars worth like the, the first few hours, man, of people just really supporting, uh, supporting the merch, sharing the information. Um, man, just really put me on gigs, invite me out to places. I got like a TEDx a leaf, uh, coming up October 30th where I'll be speaking. Uh, but it's just really people showing love back in the community. Anytime I need to call, like I say, hungry how is for events or, and that's like free pizza for the community or, or, uh, working on um, vaccination drives, things like that, and then so then, can I use your po- your place of business? Mm-hmm. So they they always benefit, man. So how have how have you pivoted with the pandemic? Like, because school wasn't in person all of last year. Yeah. The kids the kids missed a full year yeah. of of remote learning. So how'd that affect you, your talks, your education? And then mm-hmm. we'll get into how it affected the kids. But I want to speak specific of what you do, how that affected you. Yeah, man. When that happened. It was crazy, man. I, I totally shifted the platform. Um, I learned how to go, you know, because you're so doing so much in school, I learned how to go virtual. And before I picked up the stream yard, I would go like Skype, right? And so I had mm-hmm. this Skype. And mm-hmm. so I said, how can I get this out? And what I did was I set up a um, a digital learning, um, man, what do you call those things, man? My YouTube uh, like thumbnails. Play, uh, oh, thumbnails. Okay. Yeah. So I set up these thumbnails for your know, digital technology and I reached out to educators all around the country, man. And I, I, instead of doing my regular podcast, I will only interview them. What is your school doing? How have you all shifted? What kind of resources do you need? And so that's one thing I did. And um, man, I was able to hook up some people that were at the South Texas with the Houston Community Library, and they were able to ship that school resources just from watching the podcast, right? So uh, that's one way I pivoted, man. But really, I was doing in-person interviews, but the virtual interviews have got me all the way to Ireland, connecting with different people, man. So hmm. this this is it, man. You you found you found a um a little sunshine in there somewhere, a little a positive yeah. spin on it. That's good. So. How did the kids react last yeah. year, um, mm-hmm. 2020, um, from remote from remote learning? Yeah. Because, well, first of all, do all of your students even have access to internet? Yeah. Okay, so that's that's good. Yeah. That's a plus because not, not yeah. all kids in the United States even do, and people don't even realize that. Well, so- we did. Um, we we had to do like drives, right? So, um, that was one of the things that happened at the beginning. Nobody anticipated it. So before we were prepared at school, they didn't have access. So mm. then what happened was uh, we understood what was going on. The district chipped in, but as a school, we bought all these Chromebooks, we bought all these hotspots. And so then I would literally have teachers going on to like a Google doc to sign up, to come up and pick up these things, set up to the school and technology stations to set up iPads for kids. So we made it happen. But before that, it was rough. Mm. Yeah, man. So the kids, the kids happy to be back in school because you're, you're in. Okay, yeah. talk to me. About, what's 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 the schooling situation like now? In person, masks, no masks, vaccine, yeah. no vaccine. What's what's the deal down there in Houston, Texas? Man, last year, um, last year was crazy. Uh, mm-hmm. Twenty twenty teachers were doing hybrid, uh, so they were teaching a group of online kids while kids were sitting in the classroom. Uh, this year, no hybrid, uh, no virtual. Uh, we are all in person, no mask mandate through the state of Texas. So, um, mask is optional. Uh, but most of the teachers did get the vaccine though. So man, we're just rolling cases. that got a little crazy on us at the beginning of the school year. Mm-hmm. Dude, when I tell you crazy, say, man, it was crazy. 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 Yes, look, man, for, if you get one case, man, you gotta, you gotta contact trace. 
Mm-hmm. So you got to track down every place they've been. You know, you got to send that notification out to the family, notification out to the teacher. You got to find out when they don't, when they come back, who all got a quarantine. It's been crazy, man. Yeah. Well, I mean, it, <laughs> it has to be crazy because you, like, I personally think in school, in-person schooling, after a, especially after a yeah. year of remote is so, so important, specifically yes. to kids, the kids you work with. Yeah. Like, yeah, the pandemic's bad. It was bad. Yeah. It was bad for a lot of people. It's still bad for a lot of people. Yeah. But in-person schooling is so, so important for a yes, social sir. aspect. Like, I like I yeah. just met my cousin, my baby cousin. So my cousin had two kids during the pandemic. She was yeah. um, pregnant in 2019, gave birth March 20, 2020. Second one was born, um, I think, this, like a few months, three months ago. So yeah. I just met them. I just met them like two weeks ago. Now, yeah. this baby was 18 months old and had never been around more than five people. Yeah, now, who knows? I don't, I'm not a doctor. I have no yeah. idea what kind of impact that has on a child. But it can't, I'm assuming it's not good. Dude, I've been struggling. Behavior has been rough, but it's simply uh, the kids who were, um, a lot of the kids who were virtually, virtual online last year, man, the, the acclimation has been just, they're like, man, the kids who were there in person last year kind of got a head start on them. Yeah. And so then you're thinking about the behavioral problems. Dude, it's, whew, it's like, been real, man. Like you're an educator. You work with kids every day. Do you see yeah. a stark difference between the kids from like, two, say, 2019? Yeah. Up until 2021. Do you, do you see yes. like, a, like, a, part, like a, a black and white difference of how different it is for these kids? Like, mm-hmm. and, and how much extra work is it going to take to make sure they're caught back up yeah. with everyone else? Yeah, man. Look with the with the um with the behaviors. The biggest thing I'm seeing in an elementary is just now the parental attachment, right? Mm. You know, you're thinking about just being with their parent. Uh, some kids, you know, think about I'm doing kindergarten, so this kid has now skipped pre-K age because they didn't come. So kindergarten is their first time in school ever. Oh, that's bad. And so that that's been a lot of kids, man. Yeah. Uh, so. You think about your four-year-olds, they cry, cry, cry at the beginning of the year, but now it's kinders who are crying. Or you think about a lot of the kids who were virtual last year, dude, they come in like um, sad that they have to be there. It, it's been crazy, man. But but as far as catching them up, um, right now we're kind of looking at chunking like a year at a time. Like how can we just catch them up to add in things from last year to this year? Because a lot of the kids – are able to kind of pick up both pieces at the same time, but some of them it got to be intense, intense, man, where we just singling out what we're going to teach you at different times of the day because mm-hmm. a lot of them who, especially the kids who stayed virtual last year, it, the gaps are real, man. Mm-hmm. It's real. It's, it's it's not like you and me. Like, we can, we can work from home. We can adjust, mm-hmm. right? We're, we're adults. We're used to adjustments. Mm-hmm. But you know, and kids can be very useful to adjustments too, but something like that, it's, I can't even imagine. I do not, I do not envy you. I do not envy yep. teachers, but I am very <laughs> glad your kids are back in school. Yes. Um, and I'm glad well, you're definitely. taking the proper precautions because, you know, up here in yeah. New Jersey, New York, I, I don't know how it is, to be yeah. honest. I don't know how, how the schooling system is, and I don't know people who have kids. So yeah. I can't give you a firsthand experience, but with some of the past restrictions they've had, like it, mm-hmm. it can't be good. And you know, we talk about community. I can talk about from personal experience. So listen, listen to this. I've lived in Hoboken, New Jersey for four years now. Yeah. Almost. And when I first moved here, I didn't want to live alone. It's, mm-hmm. I was afraid to live alone. Yeah. So I moved in with complete strangers. Mm-hmm. Like I found them on Craigslist. It had an open yeah. room. I took it. They were two girls, really mm-hmm. nice, really sweet girls. But when I tell you, we didn't speak to each other. We, did not speak to each other. We came in, we went into our rooms, and we closed the door. Yeah. Right? There was no community in my apartment, not even the building, mm-hmm. the apartment. It was a three-bedroom yeah. apartment. I go out, we cooked, we went, we took a shower, mm-hmm. we were in our rooms, we left. That was it. Like, New York, New Jersey, you don't even know people in your building, you don't even know people in your own apartment. And those are yeah. adults. Right? So, no community is a very normal thing. Yes. Around here. You know, people say, oh, New York City, so many cultures, so many different things. You don't know those people. Mm-hmm. So, like, it's for kids, can't even imagine. Yeah, man. Can't even imagine. Like, is, is, Houston, is Houston like that? Is Houston kind of like, 
And the problem with it is, this, does everyone know each other? Is he, so Houston's yeah. a city, but it's a smaller city. No, you you would think no, but everybody does. Mm. Everybody does, man. As and then as I move out and get more in the media, more things like that, it's really all one big circle. It's it's it, man. So yeah, but but uh, I think about up there in New York, dude. They got vaccine mandates. Don't. What would you think about that? What do you think about? That? I I I tell my girlfriend, I, I just I don't want to go to New York City. Yeah. Like at all. Yeah. Like listen. I, I I will if I have to like so like I I mm-hmm. work I work in Times Square, okay. Um, so I go I'm going back in two days a week. They're not checking my card, but I did have to fill out a form, um, saying I have been vaccinated. I have been vaccinated. Mm-hmm. I think you should get vaccinated if you don't want mm-hmm. to. I get it, but I think you should. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but going to a restaurant like so for example, my mom's birthday was in September, mm-hmm. and we had plans to go to a Broadway show, uh, The Lion King, which me and my mom have been dying to see, and they sent us an email saying. You have to have a show a vaccine passport and you have to wear a mask at all times in the building. And we're like, we're not going. We don't want to go. That sounds terrible. And, you know, some places in New York, they're mandating it, but they're not serious. Like some bars or restaurants, they'll, they'll, yeah. they won't even check because they don't care because they know, they know yeah. it's bad for business. But I don't like the mandates. I like yeah. the fact that there's a choice. Like, yes. you know, for Biden's put 100 employees or more, you can mm-hmm. mandate. Or if you don't want to be mandated, you can do a test. I think yeah. that's fair. I think mm-hmm. that's very fair. Yeah. But again, you know, people are scared. People are scared. And yeah, there is not enough information out there, especially like with boosters now. Yeah. There's just not enough information. People don't know. And you have government officials acting more on optics than yeah. science. I agree. Say less. I agree, man. It's crazy out here, man. And But I'll tell you, the biggest thing is fear, man. Um, yeah, dude, dude, from the way I, you can't even sneeze anymore at the grocery store, man. Yeah, I think the other day, man, I just happened to. Oh man, dude, I got afraid in there. The worst is when I'm wearing a mask on the bus or on the subway, yeah. and I have to sneeze. I go, I'm not sneezing in this mask. I'm not doing it. Yeah, because then it's like, okay, I'll take it out and sneeze in my shirt or sneeze in my yeah. arm like a normal human being. Yeah, but I won't sneeze in the mask. My reasoning is simple. Yeah. You are sneezing because what's in your body needs to get out of your body. Yeah, man. <laughs> if I sneeze in the mask, the thing that's supposed to be out is going to come right yes. back in. It, it doesn't help me, man. <laughs> and my mask <laughs> like, is soggy now, man. Yeah, and I got to throw yeah. the mask. Yeah. So, like, it's, it's just like, so is there, there's no mask mandate for the schools? Uh, do, no, do, sir. Do people no want that mandate. or are people happy with that? I think people are happy with, with, with what's going on. Uh, for the most part, for the most part, people are still wearing a mask. Uh, you know, you got some outliers who like, ah, I got the vaccine, not going to worry about it. But for the most part, at my school, people are wearing a mask. Yeah. You know, so, and I think around the district, like I say, the biggest thing is cases are really going down in the community. Um, and so, look, dude, that that's that's what's going to help. For sure. You know, and it's just it's just take your own risks, right? Make your own, make your own choices. Yes, sir. I think that's very important as a country in general. Um, yeah. But let's get back on track here. Okay. All you, right. <laughs> you you do this. This was great. I love that we talked about this. Um, but keynotes. You do keynotes, community events. So yeah. the community events, you talk about social issues, parental parent engagement, demographics, and community involvement. Now, yeah. tell me about these events, um, how you came up with them. But leave out parent engagement because I want to ask you specific questions on that. So the other three, okay, okay. <laughs> tell me, tell me about those and what you do at these community events. Uh, I mean, man, whether it is a school, um, a lot of the times it may be um, just like community events. I know for my school we do like a health and wellness day, so we have community events like that where we're simply talking about education or we're talking about empowerment or simply. Man, motivating people, whether it's working out or, or doing something that they love, hell, being happy. You know, and so those are all uh, kind of events that we were doing before the pandemic mm-hmm. uh, happened. And so now it's kind of been slow motion. I, I did do a, a few conferences online uh, where it was um, male empowerment, uh, where, where we talked about things. Um, it was, man, it was probably like an eight-hour event, and dude, it was all black men. Uh, and we talked about stocks. We talked about health. We talked about mental health. Uh, just all and, and do so. That's what it's been like. Uh, so just being able to talk, empowering young brothers, empowering 
everybody really uh, that I can talk to in the community, man. Uh, even hooking up with like Houston Parks Board and being able to MC events with them. Mm-hmm. So just working. I love it. So is this is this like this kind of events where like you're speaking to like a group of kids in an auditorium? Uh, it could be an auditorium. It could be outside. Uh, it could be at the gym. Um, you know, sometimes it, yeah, but, but most of the time in schools, community centers, churches, all those things where I can really touch people in the community. Yeah. Those, they're very effective. They yes. are in, like, I remember being in high school. Some of them was like, you know, whatever in college, we had to do like the, um, title nine training where they just, yeah. they don't mean it. It's just like they're doing it because they legally have to, but certain keynotes, I'll never forget this. Do you know who Chris Heron is? Oh man. He does and the Heron Project. Familiar? Yeah, so yes. he is a former NBA basketball player for the Celtics okay. who yeah. got pretty much booted from the league because he was a heroin addict. Mm-hmm. So he came in and talked to our high school juniors and seniors yeah. about how he got addicted to drugs in high school. Like he, he's like, he's like, my first time doing cocaine, 13 years old. What? Like, uh, you know, me being 16 is, or 17 is going like, that's crazy. I've never seen cocaine. Yeah. Right, or like telling you how he got into college and how he played an NBA basketball game high on heroin. So like he's so oh, he was so open, he was so yeah. honest, he was so detailed, he was so yeah. like crazy story, and it was mm-hmm. super impressionable on me. Saying I left that auditorium going, I'm never doing drugs like yeah. ever, 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 ever. Um, you know, then I learned about marijuana, and marijuana is fantastic. Yeah. But, <laughs> but you know, like the rest of them, it was just like okay. Like it, 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 the point is like, he was such a great speaker. He was mm-hmm. so open, honest and truthful. And it really did make an impact. And I'm so glad yes, sir. he, he, um, he did that. And like, I, I remember after that day, I followed him on Facebook. I was like, liked him on, like him on Facebook, follow him on Twitter. I've been following him throughout the years and it is a goldmine to get him on this podcast. Cause he is an incredible, yeah. incredible human being. Yeah. Um, so what are your key? Like, do you, do you like, do you, Tell like what kind of stories do you tell in your keynotes? Man, that's it. Uh, one one of the main ones is really talking about um, the biggest thing is the intrinsic motivation, man. And so then just going through the story of those times when I had to really find it inside of me. Um, you know, uh, for, for instance, uh, when I was in third grade in Louisiana, it's this book called Ceilings, and so it takes poems from uh, that teachers nominated. Mm-hmm. And dude, I wrote a eight line poem called Life Is. And, dude, just think about how deep that was at eight that it was uh, picked for this book. And so just being able to kind of have that courage to be able to write about that and get that out and use uh, those pieces as something to help me propel forward. Because it was that part that made me tell my grandmother that I wanted to be a a high school English teacher, Mm. which is what I did when I was helping those boys. And so then uh, just telling them stories like that, Amanda, of how I had to circumvent around that. Uh, and go through the games, go through the violence and hard nights to be able to come and say, when a kid is sad, dude, he said, I haven't talked to my dad in months. I say, well, I've never talked to my dad, but think about the relationship I just built with that kid. And that's how we move people along. So always just talking uh, about the keynotes, man, how we can just stay motivated on the inside of us. Uh, but when I'm talking to uh, businesses, then we we also talking about uh, relationships in the workplace, outside of the workplace, right? And so then uh, when you got structures in line, like what are those structures? How do you find them? How do you teach those structures? How do you observe that they're being taught? And then lastly, how do we communicate when those structures aren't going right, right? And correct each other inside of those systems. And so, man, a lot about relationships, man. That's what it's about. It's all about the relationships. So let's talk about yes, your, your relationship with the parents. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Anyone who works in education knows how supportive, how unsupportive, dun, dun, dun. how hands-on and hands-off yeah. parents can be. Mm-hmm. So where do you fall? Yeah. Woo. Man, look, um, a lot of, a lot of work with uh, parent engagement, right? Or, or parent involvement. I, I think about going back to 2012 I did uh, work in Belize, right? I taught at the University of Belize. I was able to teach at a few schools and they closed down so many schools around University of Belize and it was given a eight hour parent involvement seminar. Mm. So I would just break out these sessions. It was me and uh, uh, some more colleagues and we taught on, on just parent parents. Right. And so all these teachers came. So that's when the work started. You think about the podcast. I said, how? 
do I get out messages to the mass and involve people in the community? So uh, you think about um, Teacher Appreciation Day. I grabbed a parent from our school and I said, well, come on and talk about your appreciation for them. So I, I think the parent is the biggest ally that we can have. Uh, sometimes it may get rough, but you also understand a lot of times they're coming from trauma of, well, this teacher was bad or this school was bad and I don't trust you. But we both want the same thing. But then it's just sometimes it's crazy on how we get there. Yeah. It's about yeah. find it's about finding the balance. Yeah, man. Um because I know my mom again judgment counselor. Sometimes she'd be very stern with the parents. Yeah. Sometimes she'd be very unstern with the parents. And sometimes mm-hmm. the parents had drug addiction. Sometimes the yeah. parents were straight A students. You know, it, it really is a spectrum and you gotta you gotta toe the line. Yeah. So how do you know where the line is? Um Man, I don't think you know where the line is. I think the line gets created in the middle of the conversation, Mm. right? Because it all starts, it all starts even kill and we all want the best for the baby. But then (laughs) when you tell me, well, this ain't the right teacher for your baby and I want her moved and I'm telling you that's my last step when we can't like agree on something then I think then the line is in the sand on, okay, now I got to revert back to policy and what it is, which takes away from my relationship. But like I say, that's when the line, whenever I have to stop and go back to that policy uh, versus let me talk to you and kind of give you the background on why I'm making this decision. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, um, on average, you think parents are more supportive or more like roadblocks? Oh, supportive. Supportive? Yeah, Yeah, you know, but, but the thing is, you have to build that trust, right? Mm-hmm. You got to build that relationship because if I don't know you want the best for my baby, then it's hard for me to trust you. Mm-hmm. If I know, like you think about those people in the boys club, regardless of what we are talking about, they know that it's going to be safe. They know that it's going to be positive and they know that it's going to help their boys. Mm-hmm. So then they don't worry about the avenues we get there because they also know I need my job. Mm. Right. So, so, but it's still that level of trust to where on the weekends you call and, well, can you talk to them or this? And so as a school, as a school district, we have to build that level of trust in with those parents, man. It is, it is all about trust. And I think across the schooling industry, this is schooling in general, parents are more getting more hands-on, you know, back in, back in, back in the day, whenever that day was like, if I got in trouble at school, yeah, my parents would almost always take the side of the teacher mm-hmm. because that's just probably that's just because that's how they grew up. And like traditionally, the teacher, you the parents should trust the teacher over the kid because the teacher yeah. is teaching the kid. Mm-hmm. Nowadays, it's not necessarily like that. Parents can be very difficult. They can be very they can be very defensive of their children, and mm-hmm. they want to be more hands. It's even with the curriculum. Like I don't want my yeah. kid learning this. Yeah, it's like, well, you shouldn't have told them this school district. It's a public school. Mm-hmm. What am I going to do? So, yeah. when did you when did you start teaching? What year again? Uh, two thousand eight. Now, two thousand one, I started being a teacher's assistant, but two thousand eight, I had my own classroom. Okay, so compare the parents from like two thousand eight, two thousand one, to mm-hmm. the parents now. Yeah, how has that shifted? Um, younger, right? And so hmm. when you think about younger parents, really? Uh, you yeah, man. That's the last thing I expected you to say. <laughs> younger. Look, but, but younger entails so many things because younger entails behavior, younger entails values, younger entails understanding, compromising, right? Um, and younger entails the dress of what you wear when you come to the school. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, so over the time, man, that's what I've seen uh, because you got to think I've been in elementary since 2013. And so then I'm going through those pieces. Um, yeah. So, but when you think about high school, um, yeah, they, they kind of fend for themselves starting out, man. You may get a little parental involvement around ninth grade, but after that, it start fizzle. But in elementary, um, and I'm not going to lie to you, the surprising part is it's not 100% parental involvement in elementary. Dude, I give you at least about 90, 92%. So you think about 8% of kids out here fending for themselves, fending with Big Brother. In my situation. Yeah. You know? So it's real. And some, sometimes, sometimes the parent does know what's best. Um, yeah. like I'll, I can give a personal experience again with me. Like, um, as I said, mm-hmm. I was a selective mute, so I didn't talk all through kindergarten. 
Yeah. Um, and they wanted to hold me back mm-hmm. a year. And my mom said no. Yeah. My mom's like, absolutely not. Because she knew mm-hmm. what was best for me. She knows me better than anybody. I, that, my yeah. anxiety is the same as her anxiety. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was very good. Mm-hmm. I think that was the right thing to do. And she kind of overruled the school to an extent. Yeah. Also to an extent, I told you Ms. Sheen was my favorite, my favorite teacher ever. My mom made sure I had Ms. Sheen as a teacher because she knew mm-hmm. it would be best for me. Um, but at the same time, she trusted the school. Like I was yeah. in speech therapy. She trusted Mrs. Broderick. Mm-hmm. Um, I was, she trusted the guidance counselor I worked with. She like, as I got older, she trusted the more teachers I got into. Like she trusted, um, that they would test me for my IEP and my yeah. IEP would be followed. Mm-hmm. Right. She wasn't afraid yeah. to crack the whip and put the hammer down, but she yeah. trusted the school. Can you think of an yeah. instance where like you look back and go, you know what? The parent was right. Yeah. Um, Mm, man, I I don't have no man because I, I no I, I can't think of one where I would go back and say um man I should have did this that parent was right because dude I'm an open thinker right and mm-hmm. so um uh, if I have a certain way and the parent input is better um uh, then I'm really gonna consider that you know mm. um you know it, it sometimes. Um, I have a conversation, man, and I am help. I'll give you an example. Just thinking about something recent. Um, one young kid went outside, used the restroom, uh, on the playground. Uh, kids out there, I'm like, oh no, dude, we cannot have this. Do you know what this is? Blah blah blah. And so now I'm coming in, and I'm I'm like, I'm about to send this kid to alternative school. Oh, it's it's this is terrible. And so then when I called that parent and I talk and I talked to her and I realized who this parent was. And so I, I've taught her older son. And then I talked to son that came after that. And now these kids are in a gang and, and it, it's pretty, you know, rough. Uh, one of them was even in my boys club. And so she said, sir, please, uh, because I think sending them over there will only make them harder. It won't bring anything good from it. Dude, I was hell bent on what happened, but then I had to come back and, and kind of listen to what she's saying. Uh, and so I could have made that move, right? And then it could have been a few years later, I see him in the same path and I, but I listened to her and that was that empathy, right? I didn't feel sorry for him. So excuse my French on your show. Can I cuss? Go for it. I taxed that ass. So don't worry about that. <laughs> I, I had to give him what he had. But uh, but at the same time, too, that was the difference between sending him over to alternative school and maybe hooking him up with somebody who taught him something harder and then having him come back. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's it, man. So you also work youth events, empowerment seminars and workshops, closing and achievement, closing and achievement gaps. Yeah. Um, effective student to student engagement. So mm-hmm. what, what are those like? Explain that to me. Um, basically, just the same thing we're talking about at school, man, when, when we're talking. um relationships that's all it is man how do we teach kids how to talk to each other how do we teach them how to get their points across um in in the times in these classroom communities man kids are having a lot of inner circles of events of drama of fighting going on how do we teach kids how to step outside of that and then reach out to each other or and problem solve amongst each other or reach out to adults but I think it's a skill that has to be taught. Other than that, we have so many kids suffering in silence, right? Mm-hmm. So just thinking about those those community events where we're doing, um, uh, man, when we think about just closing the achievement gap, man, we're talking about thinking about the pandemic. Why were so many parents unprepared and didn't know what was going on at school, mm-hmm. right? And so you also think about that. But then in some cases, it was a have versus have not. How do we close that gap by having everybody on a not equal playing field, but equitable playing field, right? And so, man, that that's what it's about. So how how diverse are the kids? Um, racially diverse, financially diverse, mm-hmm. um, like one parent, two parent, grandparents, uh, legal guardian, yeah. or kids with disabilities? Like how how diverse are the kids? Yeah, um, title, for my school, it's a Title I. For the district, pretty much, it's a Title I. So, what, what does uh, Title I mean? Uh, that's what I would say is like a high, high population of people um, for free and reduced lunch, uh, which means not making a lot of money inside mm-hmm. of the household, yep, we uh, that which, in, yep. 
Yeah. And so which in turns is your single parent households, mm -hmm. uh, which is the reason why we don't have a lot of money. But that in turns leave, uh, like in my case, latchkey kids. Right. Um, so you think my mom worked from two to 1030 from my sixth grade year all the way up to almost my graduation, I think. You know, so, man, that that's look, it's very diverse, but you still have those same issues, whether you black, brown or Asian. Um, I think in my school, we range from uh, high population of Nigerian students, man. Really? Like, really, we, we just had some redistricting. When I first came in 2013, high population, Asian students, uh, Hispanic students. And then I seen the, um, the, the community shift. And so now high population of Nigerian students. Um, yeah. And still high population of Hispanics and Asians. Mm. Yeah. Interesting. Very interesting. Um, are there any other programs like yours? Like, for example, um, my school district um, in Branch, Massachusetts, 15 minutes south of Boston, mm -hmm. we had something called the MetGo program, which yeah. inner city kids like Dorchester, Southie, um, mm -hmm. the bad areas, if you will, yeah. would go to school in the suburbs. They yeah. just take the buses and they go to school um, in Braintree, Weymouth, Hingham, the surrounding areas of my town. Do you have anything, anything else like that for these kids? Mm -hmm. Look, man, one thing that was awesome, and, and shout out to um, uh, one of my teachers, Ms. Bass, she created a program called Inner City Greens, right? And so she's pilot, she piloted it, if that's a word, right, on my campus. And what she's doing is teaching kids yoga, teaching them plants and the life cycle, but she's also showing them how that applies to their life, right? And just giving them that emotional time, that alone time, uh, with themselves each week. So we got programs like that. Uh, one of my counselors, Miss Spiller, she's created a girls program kind of mirroring uh, what we do as far as girls That's, empowerment. That was my yeah, next man. question. Yep. Yeah. And so, um, but, but my club on my campus is just one inside of uh, the school district. And so uh, you think about each year uh, we have a boys conference before the pandemic. And so I will speak at this conference each year where I'm talking to groups of men from elementary to high school, but it's all because we had so many sponsors around the school district that was doing the same thing. Mm -hmm. yep. So you work, you work only with boys? Uh, yeah, for me. Yes. Okay. Yes. Um, why not girls? Why don't you, why don't you work with girls as well? Mm -hmm. Is it, is it uh, like, yeah, why don't you work with girls as well? Yeah, look, I, man, yeah, I, I just don't want to say the, say the wrong thing, man. Okay. So I'd rather you, you, have you, somebody. <laughs> hey, man, you, you, you can plead the fifth. That's totally fine. You can, yeah, you man. Can plead no, the no, fifth. I'm talking about with them. Like, I don't, I don't want to, um, you oh, know, I think okay, about you don't, Okay, yeah. gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. Yeah. Okay, I, okay, you know yeah. what? You know, some things, some things a woman needs to talk to a woman to. That's what it man. We're doing a full hour here saying how you're helping boys, boys, as boys. That's yeah, boys. It's great you're helping boys. What about the women, man? Women, yeah, women, no, women we got need a club for them, man. Like, yeah, hey, they got somebody. Girls are girls going in the same environment, man. Girls yeah, man. need some help yeah. too. But, yeah, and it was crazy. Uh she started the club because the girls on the campus seen the boys club. And they said, Well, we want to be, we want to do. And so then she said, Okay, well, it looks like I gotta do it. And so then that's how the her club uh got started, man. And so it's been going ever since around the same time. Do you do anything like um it's like field trips? Like, you know, if they go to oh, like yeah. they go, you go to a play, go to the zoo, go to like the an Astros game, what yeah. have you, stuff like that. Yeah, man, we, we got like, the theater. Give, give them some culture. Give these kids That's some culture. So they, they, they learn more than a three-block radius, and they can get out of the, yeah, out of the town. Yeah, e each year we take them downtown. Uh, and you got to think, every Thursday is a uh, tie day for mm. my school. So each week we're wearing our ties. So I take them downtown to the theater uh, before, before and they were having field trips. And so then they would have plays going on. Uh, they would have, like, opera going on. They would also have, like, um. One time they just came up and did a, a performance and they introduced each instrument to the kids, had them come up, but really giving them that experience. And then I also do a, um, a foot, a baseball game each year where, mm -hmm. where I take them out and we all go, um, man. And a lot of times that's still their first time going to baseball or something like that. And so getting that experience, we get the players come over, talk, talk to them. Dude, it's awesome. So yeah, man, we got the field trips going to try to get them that exposure, man. It's it's huge for a kid. It's yeah. I remember my first baseball game as a kid. It was one of the greatest yeah. experiences of my life. Yeah. Well, KT, I think 
That is a perfect place to wrap it up. Um, I am so glad that you do what you do. I am so glad there's people out there like you. You know, I surround myself with the news cycle full of this hate, disgust, terrible, villainous things going on in the world. And I'm so glad I get to talk to people like you who just ignore all that and just do the exact opposite, trying to make the world a better place. I'm very confident that you do. I'm very glad that you do. Um, Anything else you want to share with us? No, man, other than that, man, just follow the work, man. KTTV.com. Um, you can see it in the background. Look, just just check us out, man. There's so much going on. We got giveaways. Right now, I think we're giving away a two, not two hotel, two airfare for joining the website. So just go over and get that, get signed up. A uh, real good price on that for you. Uh, just trying to make it happen, brother. All right. And where can they find KTTV, the Daily K podcast, as well as yeah. another YouTube channel? Anything else you want to plug before we say goodbye? Uh, yeah, KTTV.com. That's it. KTTEEV.com. That'll get you to the social media, to the merch. Grab your merch. Grab your merch. Hey, that, that's it, man. <laughs> All right, K. That has been Kendrick Thomas, ladies and gentlemen. My name is Will Tarashuk. It's Tazen Thomas, A R A S. H-U-K, the founder of Ambiguous Podcast Solutions. This has been Talking with Tarashuk, where me, your humble narrator, just talks to people I generally find interesting in the world, whether it be in economics, whether it be in comedy, whether it be life coaches, whether it be people like Kendrick. If you want to be a guest, feel free to reach out to me, letting me know why at will at APSpodcast.com. It's A-P-S-P-O-D-C-A-S-T dot com. And while you're there, check out ambiguouspodcastsolutions.com for all of my other interviews as well as all the other interviews I do on the Ambiguous Podcast Solution, where I talk to podcasters about what drives them, what they got started, what they're currently doing, their future goals, etc., etc., etc. Everything else from our partners, podcast partners can be found at ambiguouspodcastsolutions.com. If you're interested in starting your own podcast or want to find ways to grow your podcast, feel free to reach out to us at info at APSpodcast.com. That is all my plugs. I didn't stumble. KT, hey. I'm very proud I didn't Own stumble. It, man. I didn't even practice that. I'm holding yeah. that shit down. Yes. Yeah, we'll be back next time with a brand new guest to talk about God knows what, but we'll see you there. Thank you very much, everybody. And please, for the love of God, be safe out there and enjoy the world. <laughs>